always there for us, and let's not wait for the storms. A beautiful hymn, though. Did you know, by the way, we're going to be going to Acts chapter 5, verse 17. So if you want to turn there right now, you'll be there when we get there here in a moment. We're going to be parking on that passage. Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 42. You know, and I'm wrapping up a sermon series that is based off of scriptures which I've been convicted to pray. And we're going to wrap this up in a couple weeks. And then we're going to begin a series on Galatians. We're going to walk through and teach and proclaim the book of Galatians starting in a couple weeks. And we'll take a break for Halloween, which Pastor Bill Rotar will be preaching on that subject at the end of October. But we're going to begin Galatians in a few weeks. But for now, we've got a few more passages on praying scriptures and on praying the word of God and on uh, the overall theme of being a spiritual leader in the home. So today I want to talk about praying that we and our children are ready for persecution, that we are ready for persecution, that we are prepared to be just um, bold Christians living for the gospel no matter what. And I don't know if you knew, so by the way, once again, just get to Acts chapter 5, so we're there in a minute, but I don't know, did you know it is illegal to read the Bible in the public schools of Illinois, but a law requires a state to provide a Bible for every convict. It is illegal to read the Bible in the school, but the law requires that every convict is given a Bible. So, don't worry, kids. If you can't read the Bible in school, you'll be able to get one when you get into prison. <laughs> and this brings up the idea of persecution for Christian faith. You know, a few years ago, I read a series of articles on persecution in the early church. Dr. Ben Witherington is a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, where I went to a seminary. And he posted some articles by a guy named Candida Moss about persecution in the early church. And I've often thought about persecution, and I've thought about how we can stand strong when one is inflicting pain because of our view of Christ. And sometimes we can simply think that they just wish for us to deny Christ. And that may be true. But from what I've read, usually things come up a little bit different than that. Usually a church is meeting and worshiping the Lord. Then all of a sudden, government authorities barge in, hurt many, and put others in prison. I don't know if you've read any news articles, but over the last couple of weeks, persecution has intensified on Christians in China, in addition to many other countries. And there, if you ever follow Breakpoint, which was Chuck Colson's ministry and prison fellowship ministries, they've written about this and others. Certainly persecution seems to be uh, coming more onto Christians in the United States and we're going to read a passage from 2 Timothy 3 later on that says, All who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you want to serve Jesus and live godly in his name, you will suffer persecution. And uh, sometimes we don't know about the persecution different Christian leaders might face and other Christians face, even in the United States. Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God. Forgotten God is all about the Holy Spirit. And I would highly commend that book to all of us. And, and in fact, we have at least one extra copy, if not a couple, in my pastor's recommended reading list in the church office. I believe we have a copy in the library. Uh, Forgotten God is a wonderful book. I would encourage you to get it. But he shares about a few Christians. They were American Christians, and they were taken prisoner in the Middle East, 
taken prison, uh, prisoner uh, for their faith. This was recent, maybe the last 10 or 15 years. And they were put in prison for their faith in the Middle East. And one of them was a pastor and there were other Christians. One of them even died. One of them even died for their faith in Christ. And, but they're Americans. So eventually the Americans come and we rescued them. And we took them back to America. But after these guys got back to the States, they talked amongst themselves. And they said that they would have rather been in the Middle East under persecution because the Holy Spirit was so strong there. When they were going through their trials and their tribulations for their faith in Jesus Christ, they said the Holy Spirit was so strong there. Clearly, many are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, and God is present with them. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 10, he said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. The Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes we may not be experiencing the Holy Spirit because maybe we're afraid to stand out for our faith and stand up for our faith. We're going to look at one of many passages in the book of Acts dealing with persecution. In this passage, notice how the disciples boldly proclaim Christ and are obedient to God. They boldly proclaim Christ and they're obedient to God. Even when they're told not to preach the gospel, they keep right on preaching. And we'll see Acts chapter 5 verse 41 where they leave rejoicing that they are counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That's after being beaten, 39 lashes, after being put in prison. We're going to get into that. Notice also in this passage, you will notice also in this passage, how the disciples proclaim that they must obey God and not human laws. When there is a conflict between God's law and human laws, you obey the greater law, which is God's law. As we look at this passage, I hope you're encouraged by the way God took care of them in persecution. God took care of these disciples in persecution. I also hope that you are encouraged to also obey God and not human laws. I hope your Christian faith, I hope your Christian faith is so important to you that you will live it and share it no matter what the consequences. And I hope that you can rejoice with the disciples even in persecution. Now, let me add here, even when I talk about being bold Christian witnesses, you know, we're called to be submissive to authorities as long as they do not conflict with God's word. I heard a notable Christian pastor once say, I think it was Matt Chandler, uh, you know, a lot of times we say we're being persecuted for our faith. Well, we're being, and, 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 and we're really being persecuted because we're not being loving, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're we're being stupid. God doesn't want us to be aggressive. God wants us to be loving, full of grace, and full of truth. Never compromise God's ways. Not at all. God calls us to be certainly intolerant about certain behaviors and be loving as best we can and never deny or never set aside his ways. 
Let me set the context to this passage. In the verses prior to today's section, the Bible talks about the many signs and wonders happening through the apostles. Many signs, many wonders, many miracles. Verse 14 even says that the multitudes, the multitudes of new believers were constantly added to their numbers. So the Lord is doing many things through the early church. And I believe strongly that God's spirit is still at work today just like it was then in many amazing ways. Don't limit the Holy Spirit's work just because we're not in the book of Acts anymore. God is still active. And what we need to know and be aware of is that you are that the more you are, the, the more we step out into faith to follow God, the more we will see amazing things through the Holy Spirit. You will not see miracles if you're not following the Lord. So God is at work in the early church, and some of the Jewish leaders in this passage are not happy about it. The Jewish leaders are not happy about it. Let's get into this passage. This is a long passage, so I'm going to break the passage up throughout the sermon. My theme today is pray that we and our children are ready for persecution and that we stand strong for the Lord. Again, this is not just a challenge and a charge that we do stand strong for the Lord in persecution. No, pray ahead of these things for you and your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Pray that God will help you through these occasions. Acts chapter 5, let's read verses 17 through 21. In verses 17 through 21, we see the apostles in prison, and we see them miraculously released so let's read this section, verses 17 through 21. It says, But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. What an amazing passage. Doesn't this just excite you? Just think of it. They are in prison, and an angel comes and releases them. As we look at the rest of this passage, you will see even the great irony in this passage. But now, right now, you can notice that the Jewish high court is not happy with what is going on in the new Christian faith. The Jewish high court, think of them like the Jewish supreme court. I'm calling them the Jewish high court, but they're like the Jewish supreme court. The Jewish supreme court. They have two major groups. They have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, Paul was part of the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in our whole Old Testament including the prophets, and they believed in the resurrection. And then there were the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Because <laughs> they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees were politically tied to Rome. And so it was best for them not to believe in the resurrection. Because if the resurrection happens, they're out of power. If Jesus is resurrected, which, of course, we believe and know and, you know that he was, the Sadducees are out of power because the Sadducees were tied to Rome. And if the Messiah has come and the Messiah takes power and he takes over, Rome is out of power. Rome's not in power anymore. So there are these two 
factions, these two Jewish groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're on this Jewish high court, and they are not happy with what's going on with the apostles. They're not happy with the apostles preaching the resurrection, with the apostles preaching about Jesus. And the Bible says that, that, they, that they were filled with jealousy. So they took the apostles and imprisoned them. The Bible says that they took the apostles and they put them in public jail. Now, this could mean one of a few things. It could mean that they were put in a public jail, or it could mean that they were publicly put in jail. It could mean that the, the Jewish high court wanted everyone to see that these men are going to jail for what they are doing. Now, if everyone is seeing it, it's all the more awesome with what God's about to do and what God has done. So it's at night, an angel of the Lord let them out and told them to go and speak to the people the whole message of the Lord. Interesting, by the way, that the angel did not tell them to flee. The angel did not tell them to run away. The angel lets them out of prison and says, go right back to what you were doing. Go right back. Now, by the way, if you study Christians being persecuted through history, there are certainly times when it is biblical to flee. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is miraculously released from prison, and Peter doesn't stay in prison. He goes away. And I would encourage you to read Voice of the Martyrs and to read. There's a book aimed at youth. It came out years ago called Jesus Freaks. And it's just awesome and short little stories about the persecuted church. And we need to pray for those being persecuted. So here's the apostles. They are being persecuted. The angel releases them. The angel says, go back to what you were doing. Now, we don't see the dialogue here. I happen to kind of put my, want to put my sanctified imagination on and think, I wonder if the apostles argued with the angel. And they said, do you really want us to go back there? You, you realize they just arrested us. Why, why don't we go to Antioch or somewhere else? Maybe there was a dialogue here. But my guess is when an angel comes and releases you from prison, you don't argue. <laughs> you just do what the angel is telling you to do. You know, I wish I could get Mercedes to learn that. I told her to remove but from her vocabulary because every time I tell her something, it's but this and but that, and she'll go to law school someday. But <laughs> the angel comes, the angel releases them, the angel tells them to go back to preaching. Now look at verses 22 through 26. I hope you still have your Bibles open or your apps open, so close the Facebook app, go back to the Bible uh, Gateway app to Acts chapter 4. Uh, Caleb, yeah, close Facebook. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, verses 22 through 26. Let's, let's look at this. It's, it's really cool. It says, But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened up, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. There's an exclamation point there. Amazing. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. For they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. This passage is one of a few that are just so humorous in the book of 
Acts. You, it's just hilarious the way the Holy Spirit works. It's, it, it's like, remember that God does have a sense of humor. You, you see them guarding an empty prison. The people are guarding an empty jail cell. The people who were supposed to be in power were clearly not in power at all. In verse 24, the chief priest heard about this, and, and it says he was very perplexed. This means literally that he was in doubt. He didn't believe it. Now, I think there are probably a couple reasons he's in doubt. One, maybe three. One, why are they guarding an empty jail cell? Uh, two, how did they get out? How'd they get out of prison? Three, why'd they go back to preach in the same place? They just got arrested for that. And yet they had the total boldness to go and the total courageousness to go and preach from the very place where they were arrested from. And yet those who were supposed to be in power are a little fearful as well. Because he finds out that the people were, uh, the, the disciples had not fled. By the way, it's fortunate for the guards that they were guarding a Jewish prison, not a Roman prison. In Acts chapter 12, uh, God miraculously releases Peter from prison, and Herod has the guards killed for losing a prisoner. By the way, back then you went to jail until trial. That was all. They did not have long-term prisons with cable television as we do today. You went to jail, and once the trial was over, either you were sold into slavery, or either you maybe were beaten and then released, or either you were killed. You, you did not just go to jail for a long-term prison sentence of 30 years, or 10 life sentences. You know, they give you like 10 life sentences. I hear the first life sentence is the worst, though. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> couldn't resist. So notice in verse 26 in this passage, though, that the ones in charge were worried that they would be stoned. They're supposed to be in charge, and when they get the disciples and they bring the disciples back before the Jewish high court, they did it peacefully. They were concerned that the people would kind of riot and stone those who were supposed to be in charge. So God does a really neat, really awesome, really amazing, and really humorous thing right here. So let's look at verses 27 through 32. Go back to your Bible app and your Bibles and your pages. And verses 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death, by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So in verse 28, they say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Notice that the Jewish high court will not even say the name of Jesus. They don't even say the name of Jesus. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Then in verse 29, Peter is once again the spokesperson for the group. 
And he says they must obey God and not man. When there's a conflict in the laws, we got to obey God. We have to obey God rather than man's laws. We're to be submissive to the authorities as long as there's no conflict between God's laws and man's laws. As a, pay, as, as a way of application, what does that mean to you? Are, are, are we prepared to obey God's laws and not man's laws? How much does the gospel mean to you? Put yourself in the place of the persecuted. Say that you are a school teacher and you hold a Bible study in your room, and then after a while you are told you can no longer do this. And what do you do? Suppose that you're a school teacher and a student asks you about the gospel, but to share the gospel with this student, maybe you could be fired. What do you do? Is your job worth this person's eternity? Suppose that church is illegal. Is there a church meeting is happening in your home or in a home? Do you attend? Do you attend part of the underground church? You know, that is what they face in many other countries, and the church is thriving in these countries. In China, soon, there's got to be more Christians than, part, than members of the Communist Party because Christianity is being pruned and it is growing. But I want to submit to you, if we cannot stand for Christ now in America, we will not be able to stand for Christ when there is common physical persecution. In the book of Acts, we see that it is very important to share the gospel with people. And they must follow out the great commission. Jesus is eternal life. So now Peter shares about this group. He shares the gospel. If you look at verse 31, it says, He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Right there with the Jewish high court, Peter shares the gospel. And then in, in, in uh, verse 32... Peter says that they are witnesses of this, and so is the Holy Spirit. They are witnesses of this, and so is the Holy Spirit. So in verses 33 through 42, we see the ruling. Let's look at verses 33 through 42. It says, But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they intended to kill them. Now they had just heard Peter's testimony, and they want to kill these apostles for defying them. But verse 34, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel... A teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing." After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be even found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. 
So they're about to kill these apostles, which you would think they'd be a little hesitant to do since their men were just guarding an empty prison cell, you know, and things of that nature. But they're about to kill him. And then this man, Gamaliel, stands up. Gamaliel, and I might have mispronounced his name, but I'll say it with confidence. And if you know better, you can correct me later. But Gamaliel was the one who trained the apostle Paul. He trained the apostle Paul. And what he said right here is just quite prophetic. Because think about it. He said, if this is of men, it will go away. But if it is of God, you'll be fighting God. And here we are today, 2,000 years later. He was a brilliant scholar, Camilla was, and he was revered for a long time after this as well. But notice the end of this passage. The disciples leave, in verse 41, rejoicing that they were counted worthy of persecution. And this is right after they were beaten. They were flogged. They were beaten, 39 lashes. You know, this, this flogging consisted of 40 lashes minus one. So 39 lashes. And you can see more about it in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. The apostle Paul had had this flogging many times. And based on the provision, this was based on the provision for 40 stripes in Deuteronomy 25, 3. The practice had developed of only giving 39 in the event of miscounting, preferring to err on the side of clemency rather than severity. This was a very cruel punishment, and many people died in the punishment itself. And actually, many times, though they said 40 less one, 39 lashes, many times they gave more than that. It was a very severe punishment. So even after that flogging, though, the disciples leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. And then, in the very last verse, it says, they kept right on preaching. They kept right on preaching the gospel. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we want to live godly in Christ Jesus, be prepared for persecution. The birth of a healthy baby girl is usually a joyous occasion. But when Miriam... Abraham gave birth to her daughter, Maya, Maya, on Tuesday, May 27, 2014. 2014, it triggered a two-year countdown to her execution. On May 15th, the 27-year-old Sudanese doctor was sentenced to death for apostasy, for apostasy by a Sudanese court. In addition, she is to endure 100 lashes for the crime of committing adultery with her Christian husband. She didn't really commit adultery. She just married a Christian man. And so she was sentenced to death after 100 lashes. The judge ruled that the lashing would be carried out after she had recovered from delivering her baby and that her death by hanging would occur when her baby reached age two. So she would have time to nurse the infant. During her trial, the judge asked the young woman three times to recant her Christian faith but she refused each time. That was somewhat recent. I read a few years ago that over 100 million people were being persecuted at that time and that the Bible itself, the Bible is illegal in 52 countries. 52 countries. But Christianity is growing in these persecuted countries. Figure that out. Jim Elliott was a martyred missionary, and he wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
We must be prepared to do this. Jim Elliott wrote that, and then he was martyred for his faith, as well as all of his missionary team. But interestingly enough, and if you get the book or the movie titled End of the Spear, you can read or watch more about this. After they were martyred by their, for their faith in Ecuador, and I want to say 1956, after they were martyred, their wives went back and worked with the tribal group sharing the gospel. And that tribal group is now a thriving Christian community because the women went back and finished the Lord's work. It's this amazing story. And if that did not happen, that group, they were warring with each other so much they would have become extinct. But God had other plans. I encourage you today, pray for the persecuted church and pray for yourself and your descendants that you can stand strong in persecution. Pray for the church in America as well, that the church in America can be refined and pruned and grow stronger. And I happen to wonder, why would people go through this stuff for Jesus? And my answer is for life everlasting. We are always trying to live longer, but we never will. Not on our own. Only God can help us. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, Anyone can follow me, but he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. As I talk about persecution, I want to ask where you're at in your faith right now. Are you surrendering to the Lord daily? Are you a Christian for sure? Many times we think we're Christians just because we believe in Jesus. But I want to submit to you, if you're not committed to Jesus, you're not likely a Christian. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not a Christian. You don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus without a relationship with Jesus. Jesus calls us to surrender ourselves and die to self and live for him. He calls us to be followers of him, not fans. That's what the idea of being a disciple is. I encourage you to make sure that you are a follower of Jesus today. Let me share the gospel acronym again. God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. But our sins, they separate us from God. We see that in Genesis 3. Sins cannot be removed by good works. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in, in him alone has eternal life. Life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Do you believe in him? Are you committed to him? We talk about the church in America. I believe right now God is separating the wheat from the weeds. And only God can do that. Persecution does that. Persecution does that. When persecution happens, the, the people who are Christians in name only, they flee. And what you have left is a very, very strong church. Because who remain are the disciples of Christ. Those truly committed to Jesus. I like to believe right now in America, across our country, God is making the church stronger, though numerically we are weaker. But we're stronger. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that we are committed to you. I ask that we are followers of you. I ask that you prepare us to, to stand boldly for your name when we face persecution. And Lord God, I ask that we can stand boldly for you today, tomorrow, this week. That we don't wait... Till somebody has a gun to our head asking us to deny Christ. We don't wait till our churches are being burned. We don't wait until we're facing hard times. We stand strong for you now. 
And of course, Lord God, the first step of standing strong for you is knowing you, having a relationship with you. And Lord God, for those here who have never surrendered to you, or maybe they've surrendered to you, but they question whether they're really committed to you. May today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they surrender to you, confessing they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you, Jesus, as a way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you, committing their life to you and trusting in you. Lord God, we can't do this on our own. I, don't, I, I know the disciples did not do this on their own. The disciples did this in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, because they had the power of the Holy Spirit to be with them. That's how they could rejoice. Lord God, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Help us following you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and sing a mighty fortress.